0: Okay, dear saints, uh, uh, in this session, we come to message three of the conference. Uh, The title is the prerequisites of the believers building up in the church, the body of Christ, part one. So there are two parts uh, to this message. Uh, We'll cover the first part uh, in this session. And then uh this evening session will be the second part um <clears throat> altogether uh, uh between the two uh, messages that we will have uh 12 points of re- prerequisites this message will cover the first four uh and then the rest will be for tonight <clears throat> well Coming to this matter of the building, the divine building, as we have seen from the first two messages, um, and there is, there must be a desire within many of us who want to participate in this building, and the Lord wants us to have a share to participate in this building work as well. However, we cannot just say, well, i like to build. Well, let's do it. I want to uh, put in my share. I'm quite, I'm able. I'm available. uh, uh, I have learned something. I have, I'm somewhat knowledgeable. Um, uh, So I will, I would like to, to to build. Well, um, here in these two messages, we cover the matter of prerequisites. We know what the word prerequisite mean. When we were in college taking classes, um, I want to take that class, but then I found out there there is a prerequisite class. Uh, i need to take first in other words prerequisites imply there needs to be some preparation before i can take that class that one i want to i need to have some uh preparation first to ready me uh for that class i like to take well in the in god's building work we must realize uh there are prerequisites involved. It is not just a matter of your zeal, your ability, uh, and uh, uh, your givenness Then you qualify to build. No. I just thought about this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 10, Paul says, according to the grace of God, given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid a foundation, and another builds upon it. But let each man take heed how he builds upon it. So to build, to participate in the building, in the divine building, is not a small thing. If we consider, compare that as a as a, a courses, a classes in a, a school, this is a heavy course, cl- heavy course that requires many prerequisite before you can take on this course, this class. Um, Paul, in First Corinthians three, says, "Let each man take heed how he builds upon it." Then, the next two next two verses. He says, for another foundation, no one is able to lay besides that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But if anyone builds upon the foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, grass, stubble. Then verse 13, the work of each will become manifest for the day will declare it because it is revealed by fire. And the fire itself will prove each one's work of what sort it is. This section of the scripture is a serious word. Uh, On the one hand, Paul encourages us to build, but at the same time, he warns us that we must take heed how we build. You can build either with gold silver precious stones or you can build with wood grass and stubble and there will be a day of testing that paul says that the fire will prove each one's work of what sort it is if we build with wood grass and stubble which are all consumables the the bigger the pile the bigger the fire. So if our work is of the, the kind, category of wood, grass, and stubble, uh, in the footnote, Brother Lee tells us that uh, um, the uh, wood, uh, the wood, grass, stubble are related to our natural man a fallen man uh this is uh this is if we build according to our natural uh trait our natural life which will be the of the category of wood grass and stubble and we may be busy building building we spend a lot of time a lot of energy giving ourselves to labor for the church, for the work, uh, but not knowing that all I have been building are to pile up consumable that are ready for the fire to burn up. But if I build with gold, silver, precious stones, which usually are not of big, big quantity, of large quantity, Right? You can have a pile of hay in New Zealand. You have these green pasture and you see have a lot of hay, rows of hay stacked up there. And if a fire comes, it burns up very readily. But gold, you don't find that that, that uh, much in abundance. Uh, just a small uh, ounces of gold is too, too priceless. And then you have silver and precious stones. Now these materials, however, can withstand the fire. They can be tested by fire, can be proven by fire, and, uh, and it will remain. So in this portion of the word, Paul uh, warned us, yes, now we are involved You have seen God's building. We are God's building. We are God's farm. We all are participating in this divine building work of God. But we need to be, we need to take heed. We need to be careful how we build. Don't build with all these uh, consumable things that one day you find out, oh, the fire, they cannot withstand the fire. Is all consumed, and it, has, it is worth nothing. And on the other hand, if we uh, exercise to truly build with gold, silver, and precious stones, then in that day, when the fire comes to test it, we can withstand that test and be proven and be tested and be uh, accepted by God. So um, it is worthwhile for us to consider the prerequisites to make sure that we are ready. Uh, Don't take on the matter of building so lightly just because, oh, I like it. I like what I heard. I can do it. Um, Don't be so quick. We need some time before the Lord to consider these items of prerequisites and this message covers only four prerequisites and they are somewhat a little bit more general items the next uh, eight items will get into a little bit more specifics and practical but they are all important prerequisites the first the first point uh says we must realize that the Lord loves and wants to have a built up church, not scattered individuals. Now this point, uh, this first point, touches the matter of our realization, which is related to our thought, our concept. Uh, Do we have this realization? As we are serving, living in the church life, what kind of realization do we have? You're living in a church there in Hamilton, uh, and you enjoy the home meeting, the group meeting with the saints, and you enjoy the prophesying uh, meeting on the Lord's day, breaking bread, and the prophesying the Lord's word. Well, <clears throat> you in, seemingly you enjoy the church life the saints there with with uh, everyone uh that is a good place to be but then as the question comes what is your realization in practicing that church life there is it just because the people are nice uh the saints are very kind they love me very much they greet me every time i come i i come to the meeting and uh everything was done very in a very orderly in an organized way. This is a nice church to be. well, that is not good enough that is not that cannot qualify you to participate in the divine building the first this first prerequisite touches the matter of our of our realization What kind of realization the realization that the Lord loves and wants to have. A built-up church. Our our living in the church life, our participating in this so-called building work, is not because that the people are nice, the environment is positive, but it's because we touch something on the Lord's heart. That the Lord loves the church, and he wants to have a built-up church. We read the verse in Matthew 16, a very familiar verse to many Christians. The Lord Jesus says, I will build my church. This word building, uh, the church here actually was the first time used in the New Testament. Uh, and, uh, uh, and the Lord uh, says, he will build his church. You know, to to get, he didn't say I will have my church, or he will gain the church. He says he will build the church. What is the what is uh, uh, so particular about the word build, as opposed to merely to have it, to possess it? To build implies putting something together, and. Like building a house, many some brothers are very skillful. There, they build houses, and you have uh, uh, you bring together. There are piles of material. There's wood, uh, there's steel, and bricks and stone, and you have to bring these different material pieces and kinds of material together, and then to piece them together, to build them together, to become uh, a wholesome structure. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew 16, he was not just going to have a church, gain the church, but he is going to build the church. God decides to have a building work that that involves the bringing together of different materials to result in a wholesome entity. So, um, we must have a concept, we must have our mind renewed to have this realization. I don't know, um, I have met all kinds of people in the course of my service in many places, and I realize they are, in the concept of some people I met, they they are in their realization is that as long as I can get my work done, uh, as long as I can Uh, do a good work. Uh, I preach the gospel and people respond and they get saved. I got some more numbers. Every year I can get bring 10 to the Lord, 20 to the Lord. I'm happy. With this person, he had no concept of building. His concept is work. His concept is success. But if you touch the Lord's heart, Deep in the heart of God, he wants to see his people built up together. Not scattered, but being brought together, constituted together, and be built up together. This is a, a very enlightening thought. I mentioned yesterday, God was the first one who built right? This was back in Genesis 2. He built with Adam's rib. He built that into a woman. He built the rib into a woman, and he brought that woman to Adam, to be Adam's counterpart, to be his completion, to be his helpmeet. That counterpart, the wife of Adam, was a building, was a building which signifies actually the church as the wife of Christ, as the counterpart of Christ. And then later on, we have Moses built the tabernacle. And after him, David with Solomon also built, built a temple, bringing together many uh, 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 kinds uh, of material, and uh of course, the tabernacle and the temple that they built was something in the physical realm right that was just a kind of it's what it was a tent it as a tabernacle, and then the temple was a was a structure and uh but nevertheless it is uh put together a building together of different kinds of materials to become one wholesome entity and that became the dwelling place of god and then when it comes to the came to the new testament then jesus says i will build my church in all these instances we see the the revelation concerning building this was something Deep in the heart of God. You know, recently in our crystallization study, the training on First and Second Samuel, we came to Second Samuel chapter seven. We we read a very, very touching story of David. <clears throat> one day after he uh, finished defeated all the enemies around and he was he had a thought that i am dwelling in a house of uh, uh ivory but uh how about god he says i dwell in a house of cedar sorry but the ark of god dwells within curtains now david somehow all of a sudden had a thought that um uh I'm dwelling in a very nice, uh, comfortable place. But how about God? The ark of of God was within a curtain, in a tent. And uh, the the prophet Nathan came to him and and encouraged him uh, that, King, whatever is in your heart, you just do. Jehovah is with you. And and that night, Jehovah... uh, came to through Nathan to speak to him. He says, For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought the children of Israel up out of Egypt to this day. But I went about in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all my going about, among all the children of Israel, did I ever speak a word to any of the tribe of Israel, whom I commanded to to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And now thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says Jehovah of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you might be ruler over my people, uh, uh, over Israel. And I have been with you. Uh, uh, Let me just move. And then in verse 11, Ever, ever since the time when I commanded that there be judges over my people, Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, Jehovah declares to you that Jehovah will make you a house. And then when your days are fulfilled, you sleep with your fathers. I will raise up your seed after you, which will come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. It is he who will build a house For my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Many Bible readers realize this is one of the most, the deepest prophecy recorded in the Bible. It is related to this matter of building and how, who is qualified for this building. But I'm not gonna to, to go to that far, but mainly I want to bring out this matter that David had this thought of building something for God, and God was so touched you may say god when God heard it, he was so touched, it was not out of his demand that David would do something somehow david in his own in from his own own initiative, he realized that God has a desire to have a dwelling place, and he expressed this desire to build God a house. God respected that to the uttermost. Later on, we know in, in the uh, 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 in the reference verse in uh, in in uh, in Acts chapter thirteen twenty two. That God said He is David is a man after my own heart. David knew God's heart, even without without God saying expressing it explicitly. David somehow realized that that was was on God's heart. I don't know where he picked up those thoughts. He probably learned it from his uh, forefathers. About God's desire for a dwelling place, and we know from David's Psalms, in the in the Psalms he wrote many Psalms, he expressed how he loved to be in God's dwelling place. And uh, there is something about God's dwelling that was put into David's heart, which echoes God's heart. So the first prerequisite here is concerning our realization. This realization surely involves a vision, involves the kind of vision we receive. Today in Christianity, sorry to say, there is not such a vision. The workers just care to do their work. And uh, the ones who, are, who like to build up mega churches, they just like to do their, uh, have a big congregation and have a big meeting place. Who cares for this matter of building? And unfortunately, even uh, in today's Christianity, as these different workers are going about doing their service for God, they compete with each other. There is rivalry. See who can outdo the other. You build a, you get, you, you build a 5,000 people, make a church. I can build a 10,000. I can do it bigger than you. Uh, You you, you draw this crowd, I can draw a bigger crowd. Today, sorry to say, this is a situation among the so-called, in Christianity, it's full of rivalries, strives, division. In the heart of God, he wants to gain a building. Who cares for that? Who is concerned for that? David expressed that concern in Second Samuel seven, and God was pleased to the uttermost that he considered a man. David was a man after his own heart. Brothers and sisters, if we want to build God's house, this is the first thing we must ask ourselves: Lord, what is my realization? Have I seen the building? Is something on your heart? Or is this not because, oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm good at this kind of thing. I, I'm a good organizer. I can help to build a church. I can, I can get everything working very well, very, very uh, 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 in a coordinated way. That is not building. And it says that uh, we must realize what the Lord loves he loves the church, and he wants to have a built-up church, not scattered individuals. At the end of the Bible, we do not see many separate individual spiritual giants parading down the aisle to show forth oh, how much uh, they have uh, uh, gained God, how much uh, experience spiritual experience they have. And uh, and show and show to show out to show off uh, how spiritual this and that person is. No, at the end of the Bible, we see the consummation of what is in God's heart, His eternal purpose. It's just a building. God loves the building, where all the materials are brought together, and constituted together, built together. God is not a scattering God. God is a gathering god to is a building god in the world today and to get along with also christianity they they take the way of scattering they promote individual ability they promote each one stand up for him, for himself show up your show off your ability what you can do you don't need to be connected with each other. This is the world that we are living in today. is in the principle of scattering, individualizing. This is the promotion. This is the and kind of an atmosphere of the world that we are living in. It's only now we come into the church life. There is this atmosphere of being brought together, blending together, being built up together, This realization is important. Without this realization that we are not qualified to build. Now, let me read on. A says the principle of Babylon, apostate Christendom, is that of division, confusion, and scattering. God's people are scattered with each one going his own way and direction. We know in Genesis 11, the record concerning Babel. There, uh, mankind was ambitious, trying to build a high tower, to reach up to heaven, to challenge God. And because of that, God came down to confound them uh, with different languages, so that these ones cannot commu- could not communicate with each other. And eventually their work was disbanded, their work stopped. And they were scattered into different places, and they became different, different peoples and, and uh, with different tongues. That was the origin of Babylon. Babel was the source of Babylon. Babel is a source of division as a result of God's curse. So <clears throat> today the, uh, we are living in a world of uh, many cultures. Many tongues, many dialects. It's uh, actually you have to realize this was a product of Babel, that due to man's rebellion, mankind were was divided into different tongues and uh, uh, and languages. So so that scattered them. And God. In uh, As opposed to that, in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the place where God wants to gather his people. So B says, the principle of the Lord's building of his church is that of gathering. We are gathered by the Lord out of all kinds of occupations and frustrations unto himself on the genuine ground of oneness. Matthew 18, 20, you know, tells us that wherever two or three are gathered together, the Lord himself is in our midst. Praise the Lord this weekend. We have, uh, the Lord gathers us together, right? On the one hand, we're here coming together together to listen to the word. But on the the other hand, uh, we are gathered together with one another around the Lord not only we are hearing the word, but we are gathered with the saints, with one another. This is a wonderful thing. And uh, Jerusalem is in the principle of gathering. According to Deuteronomy 12, as uh, God's children enter the good land, God charged them. Doesn't matter where, where, where they end up uh, in the good land. What what uh, what kind of allotment they received that three times a year they need to be gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate, to feast together, to testify they are still one people of God on the earth. They are, tw- they are scattered into 12 pieces of land in the good land, but they are still one people. God wanted them to make sure that at least three times a year, It doesn't matter how far they lived, how inconvenient it was. They needed to go to Jerusalem to feast with their brothers. Thank the Lord today in the Lord's recovery. We have the seven feasts. And in these last 25 years since Brother Lee parted from us, went to be with the Lord, the Lord's recovery has been maintaining seven times a year, allowing the saints to come together. Of course, not everyone is able to come in these occasions, but there has been very good representatives from everywhere participating in these seven feasts of the year. Can you imagine in the last 25 years, if there has not been the seven feasts, where will the Lord's recovery be today? I can certainly tell you it would have been gone. We would have, you know, there are many, Capable, capable brothers, gifted brothers. They don't have to come together. They can do their own thing, open their own branch. But now we all have been captured by the vision of the age, under the ministry of the age. We don't want to do our own thing. We like to be gathered by the Lord to be a brother um, with all the other brothers, to come together, to be blended, to through these coming together the lord's recovery is still here praise the lord we say this year we are we entered into our 100th year history of the lord's recovery which is not a small thing what has kept us together not because we particularly like each other in the in our natural sense but because of this ministry because of our coming together time after time the Lord has preserved us in the oneness, in the oneness of his body. So I hope that the Lord will uh, uh, put this kind of a realization, this kind of a seeing within us that we love to be brought together. We like to be gathered, we don't want to be scattered. We are against any kind of division any kind of confusion, any kind of scattering. We are here to be gathered and to be built up and to testify of our oneness. So this is the first prerequisite, is to even to have our mind renewed, to have this, uh, to be gathered together. Now, number two, we must acknowledge That all the believers have been baptized in one spirit into one body, and that God has placed the members in the body and blended all the body together. After our realization of what is on God's heart, he wants to have this building, we also must acknowledge, acknowledge what God has done. Not only do we realize there is something on God's heart, but also we realize God has already done something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, we are told that in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. On the day of Pentecost, that the resurrected Christ came back to the disciples as the consummated spirit. In Jeru- on the day of Pentecost, to pour out himself upon the believers, baptizing them in that spirit into one body. On that day, the body of Christ was born, practically, is through the baptism in the one spirit. Who is that spirit? That spirit is just the consummation, the reality of the process and consummated triune God. In resurrection, now he is the consummated spirit. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. In that spirit, we all were baptized. Of course, on that day in Jerusalem, all those were the Jewish people. Then uh, later on in Acts chapter 10, in the house of Cornelius, in the in a Gentile's house, There was also the experience of the baptism of the Spirit upon the Gentile part of the body. It is through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that consummated Spirit, the body was formed. The Jewish and the Gentile believers were produced as one body. This is an accomplished fact, brothers and sisters. Now, we all, have been baptized in that spirit, in that one spirit, to be the one body. And we are now positioned even to drink of the one spirit. So it says, God has placed the members in the body and blended all the body together. May the Lord open our eyes to see. This is an accomplished fact. The ascended Christ as the head. Becoming that consummated spirit, he baptized us. He immersed us in himself and produced us as his organic body. This is a fact. We need to recognize, uh, to, to acknowledge this. A says, as the spirit is the sphere and the element of our spiritual baptism, and in, and as in such a spirit, we were all baptized into one organic entity, the body of Christ. So we should all, regardless of our race, nationality, and social rank, be this one body. Christ has already done it. He as the Spirit already baptized us into the one body. Why should we think of ourselves as different bodies, many bodies? No. In his baptism, only one body is, was produced. And we are all parts of that one body. We must acknowledge this. And uh, this is important. There, there is no place, there is no place, according to the divine revelation, for any one of us, for any Christian, to branch off, to set up his own church, set up his own particular body. No, Christ only has one body because there is only one spirit. In that one spirit, we are baptized into the one body of Christ. It doesn't matter how many billions of people, how many billions of believers, there is still only one body. Because of this, we don't agree with all the denominations. We stand against all the divisions. There's no place for that. That is against the truth in god's word we are shown clearly in one spirit we all were baptized into one body that's why even on the day after you believe in the lord jesus christ you were asked to be baptized in the water when you were baptized in the physical water you were testifying not only that you were baptized into the death of christ into christ himself you were baptized into the body of Christ. So it doesn't matter you are down from down under or you are from up above in the north or in the east or west. We were all baptized in that one baptism of, this, of that one spirit. We are all members of the one body. It doesn't matter what language, what race, what color, what background. Praise the Lord. We are all parts of that one body. B says. Every, well, I think, the uh, uh, you know, in in the reference verse in Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, that uh, Paul says that we need to put on the new man, put off the old man and put on the new man, where there cannot be Jew or Greeks, barbarians, Scythians, circumcision, uncircumcision, slaves, free men but Christ who is all and in all. It is a fact, brothers and sisters. In the new man, there cannot be. That word cannot be is a strong emphatic word in Greek. Say Implying it's impossible. It's impossible. You You may say, oh, the New Zealanders, you're Kiwis. And then you have in Australia, the Aussies. And then you have the Chinese, you have the Koreans, you have the, uh, the, uh, the 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 Yankees. No, in the body of Christ, there cannot be. It's an impossibility. Why is impossibility? Because Christ has only one, Christ as the one spirit baptizes us into his one body. So there's no differences due to cultural background due to our social status, due to religious preferences, all those would mean nothing. We all have been brought to the same ground, to the same level. We all are members of the one body. B says, every believer is an indispensable member of the body, and God has placed the members each one of them in the body, even as he will. Dear saints, don't think that, well, I just got saved last week or last month. I'm a young believer, new believer. You all are big brothers, big sisters to me. You know a lot. You experience a lot. Uh, whether I'm just a very young one, whether I'm here or not really does not make that much of a difference. Look at that. We are, they are, there are hundreds and thousands of us. Well, one less of me, is, it does not make that much difference. No, as long as you are a child of God, doesn't matter how new and how young you are, you are an indispensable member. Not even just in our body, we have some members, human bodies, we have some members are uh, 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 somewhat a uh, 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 weaker, like a little a little finger, right, a little finger is although it's a, it's a small member, a not so strong member, but it's a needed member. I cannot just because oh it is so strong, it is so small, so weak, let's get rid of it. I want my body, every part to be strong that is that is a silly thought. If you want to have a a a proper body, healthy body, you need every single member. Today, brothers and sisters, we need to see in the body of Christ that it is in God's heart. It is of his desire. He wants to build. He wants to gather us all together, build us up together, connect us together. And also he has already done. He has already done the job of of becoming the spirit to baptize us into this one body. And. You and I, we are an integral part of this body, organically joined to this body. We are an, in we are indispensable members. I hope many of you, I don't ask you to do that now, even when you, in your heart, you should say, Lord, I'm just a little sister, little brother, but I am indispensable in the body. We are so happy to see all these young trainees in Myanmar joining us. I want to encourage you to say, You young trainees in Myanmar, you are indispensable members in the body. The body of Christ cannot go on without you. You are all parts of this body. Doesn't matter you are saved. As some of us over 50 years, we've been in the Lord for many years. Even serving the Lord. Doesn't mean that I'm higher than you. You are lower than me. No. Here, the next point says... Number 1 we should not despise ourselves and cover the work of others and 2 we should not be proud and despise others thinking that we are all inclusive and that we are better and more useful than others in 1 Corinthians 12 Paul pointed out there are there is this kind of problem in the church life that is some members they are weaker they have a you know when they talk they stutter they cannot they cannot speak eloquently they feel they are not. They should not. They are not part of the body. And some, uh, some, uh, you know, Paul likened the eyes, the eyes of the body. They are beautiful. They can see a lot, and the eyes can should not say, "I don't need the I don't need the feet. I am I can I I I am I'm, I'm all inclusive. I'm the most beautiful part." In the no, the eyes need the feet. If the eyes only see the fire. You need the feet to help him to run, right? <laughs> if the, you know, you, the eyes cannot move, the eyes can see, but you, it needs the feet to move. The feet are the lowest part of the body, always contacting the dirt of the ground. It seems to be, it is so earthly, but brothers and sisters, we need to treasure every member in the body no one is dispensable. The strong ones should not feel they are all-inclusive. They are, they are superior. The weaker ones should not feel that they are, uh, they are not needed. Having the inferior concept. So in the body, the Lord needs to deliver us from any kind of inferiority concept or superiority concept. But we just simply realize, I am a member in the body, and I am needed in the body. C says God has blended all the different members of of Christ together in the body. In in that same chapter, we are told God has blended the body together, giving more honor to the members that lack, right? That are more uh, the uncomely members. They need more honor. They need more. They need more care. They need more love. Saints, to build the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not an army that everyone is uh, uniform. Everyone is uh, is like a soldier. No, in the body of Christ, it is like a it's like a home, a family. Some are older. Some are younger. Some are smarter. Some are not so smart some are strong, some are weak, they're all there in that one family. But it is more than just a family. It is an organic body, where every member is organically joined, is organically connected. So not one member can be, uh, uh, is dispensable. And God has blended. Blending means what? Blending means a to to uh, mix it together, so it's good that uh, the stronger ones can be uh, 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 blended with a not so stronger one, right? And of course, naturally, you the stronger one prefer to be with the stronger ones, and uh, uh, you know the the ones in uh, uh, who speak Chinese like to prefer to be with the Chinese, and the Korean prefer with the Ch- Koreans. Then <clears throat> then there will be no blending. The blending means to bring different parts, parts of different nature origin uh, to come together, to become a wholesome one. That uh, this blending is is so crucial. This is what is on God's hearts uh, these days. As I I forgot, even this morning, maybe sharing with the brothers that um, uh, in the whole universe, that God is doing only one work. It doesn't matter if it's north or south, east or west, what languages, what race. There is only one work. There's no New Zealand work. There's no America work. There's no European work or Africa work. There is just one work, which is the work of building the body of Christ. So we are all here. We appreciate everyone's portion and we need one another's portion and we need the Lord's blending, the blending us. Uh, uh, the strong one needs to be blended with the not so strong ones. One time in the full time training here in Anaheim, years ago, uh, we had two trainee sisters in my team. In my one sister is very fervent, very very burning. Uh, when she she when she prays, she has a lot to pray. And then she is paired up with another sister who is not so burning, who is uh, um, uh you know less uh, uh, uh she is a little bit passive, so somehow sovereignly they were put, they were paired together and one time that uh, that sister that uh, that aggressive, stronger sister came to me and said, "Well, you know, when I came to pray with this sister, I pray five times, and she could p- barely pray one time. Uh, uh, what should I do?" I'm, I'm i'm so I have so much I want to pray, but this other person she is so slow she is just uh, not so not so aggressive in in other words, she was trying to ask me to please uh uh move her to change pair her with another stronger sister. I said sorry sister uh it is it is not my choice or or your choice it is God's choice who has put you together to blend you. You learn to blend. You are quick. You are very aggressive. And here's one who is not so aggressive. Well, you are being paired together, learn to be blended together. Well, thank the Lord, after the two years of training, uh, you can see the sister began to learn some lessons of blending. That stronger sister really loved that other slow sister. They became, they became real vital companions to each other. Not because of the natural disposition, but because by being blended together, they still learn to experience Christ in that kind of a, 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 a different situation, learning to be blended. So <clears throat> let me, oh, the second part of that point, to be blended means to be tempered and crossed out, learning how to follow the spirit to dispense Christ for the body's sake. So according to Brother Lee's definition of blending, which is for us to go through the cross by the Spirit to minister life to one another for the building up of the body. These four matters. We need to take heed, take to heart to practice the blending. Then we will will practically enter into what Christ had already done to baptize us. And and today we are practicing this. Then point number three, we must be in harmony with the fellow believers and be in one accord with the body in prayer, which issues in the establishment of the church. Now this point concerns our living or our attitude, our living. Not only we need to have realization, touching our concept, And also, we need to have acknowledgement, right? Uh, But also, we need to have our attitude adjusted and our living to be adjusted, to be in harmony with our fellow believers. We read the verse in Matthew 18, where two or three would be in harmony concerning anything they ask. The Lord says, I will do it for them. Harmony here is the word for in a uh, uh, homothumodon uh, is one accord. It's like uh, in a uh, in a uh, um, uh, orchestra. Right? You have many instruments there. You have the string instruments. You have the piano. You have the 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 pipes. Uh, the, uh, uh, the flutes. All these instruments they need to be harmonized right and uh, so to play to play out a beautiful music in the Lord's body we have we all have different uh, you may say different a uh, tune different uh, um uh, play different sound the lord wants us to be harmonized harmony is harmony is very beautiful uh, you have some who are bass and some are uh, treble uh uh treble uh, the uh uh, uh, soprano and uh, and uh, uh, alto. So, when you bring all these different uh, voices together in a harmonious way, they produce a very uh, uh, pleasant, enjoyable music. The body of Christ must be so harmonious. In our living, in our attitude, we must endeavor to always be in harmony with the fellow believers. This morning we we told the brothers that we should not try to be different from others we should try to be the same right to be different from others actually is a shame it's a despise to the lord's recovery the lord is blending us together he is he gathered us together he wants to make us the same i mentioned to the brothers that uh, even according to First John chapter three, that when the Lord appears, we all shall be like Him, we all will be the same. Why should you be so different today? The world tried to accentuate our differences, to make one to make yourself make yourself stand out that is that is not good. that is the worldly way in the body we learn to be harmonized, to go along with our fellow believers and be in one accord. Any kind of rivalry, any kind of uh, uh, dissension, any kind of uh, contention is not of the body. It's It's not pleasing to the Lord. The Lord wants to see harmony and one accord. You know when the when the twelve disciples were with the Lord Jesus on the earth, right? Uh, uh, some they some were jealous uh, of the others. Uh, when the Lord, when one, one be, uh, the, right the Lord, one wanted to be sitting on the right side of the Lord, one want to be sitting on the left side, and uh, who is greater? Well, there is this kind of a contention. But after the Lord's death and resurrection, that they were. All those 120 disciples prayed together for 10 days in the upper room. In those 10 days, they were being harmonized there. Peter was being harmonized with John, with James, with all the brothers. And as a result of praying together in one accord for 10 days, that brought down the outpouring of the Spirit, the blessing of the Spirit was a result of the brothers brought together in one accord in prayer. The Pentecost was not an accident. It was actually the result of a group of believers praying in one accord. May the Lord bring His recovery to such a stage where we are practicing the one accord with one another so that we can bring in his unprecedented blessing. That, A says, the two most important matters in the scriptures are, one, being mingled, and two, being one with all the saints. The oneness is like a thermometer. It can tell us how much, we are in the mingling. You know, I heard saints um, here and there say, brother, I love you. Sister, I love you. Well, it's not hard to say I love you. or you love me. I love you. But the real test comes when some situation, some decisions are made. Are we one with one another? Sometimes you may say uh, in a superficial way, yeah, I love you. Yeah, I... I, I. I, I, when I see you, I'm so happy to see you. But then, in in a practical coordination to carry out some matters, you you have some opinion. I have my opinion. We cannot get along. We cannot be in agreement. So, in addition to just merely loving one another, we need to be in one in one accord, be brought into oneness. Sometimes we maybe even have to be willing. To sacrifice ourselves, sacrifice my preference to go along with the other brothers, you know, just like brotherly used the uh, you know the 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 example of driving from point A to point b, right, and then instead of arguing which way is the shorter way, the fast the 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 best way to go to to take, instead of arguing, just go along with the brother, it may take you ten minutes longer to get to the destination but at least you can get there in peace. Instead of quarreling for another half an hour, you cannot even set off for the journey. The Lord treasures his believers living in harmony in one accord. The two most important things that we need to take care of is to be mingled with God and to be also one with all the saints. B says the one accord is the practice the application of the oneness. In Matthew 18, 19, the Lord spoke of two praying together on earth in harmony in one accord. To say amen in response to others' prayer is an indication of our one accord. Amen. You know, saints, to say amen should not be just something formal, something uh, trite. But Really, if we say amen from our heart, when another person prays, when another person testify, amen, amen means I agree. May this be so. That means you are in agreement. You are one with that brother's prayer, one with that brother's testimony. Probably of all the Christian groups on the whole earth, the Lord's recovery, if the saints in the Lord's recovery said the most amen. You know, hardly you go to, you know, visit a certain denomination. You can hear the much amen at all, right? You only heard the, uh, hear the, uh, the pastor giving his speech, his sermon. But in the Lord's recovery, we are full of amen. amen. But be ready, even in the, in the, when the Lord comes back in the kingdom, there will be many amens. Amen, amen will be filling, filling the heavens, filling the universe. So today we are just practicing, our amen. It is good good to amen your brother's prayer. Don't leave your brother just pray, 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 and yet he has no response. That's not so encouraging. Sometimes we need to amen one another, right? Standing one with one another. Number two says the way for us to be blended with others is through prayer, with the exercise and release of our spirit, so that others can hear, understand agree with, and thus say, Amen to our prayers. I hope you would uh, treasure this, uh, even this little practice of saying Amen, to usher us into a practical one accord with one another. Now, we come to this fourth section, which is also, which is the longest, the fourth um, prerequisite. We must practice the oneness of the divine trinity in the divine trinity as the divine trinity does. When the first time I encountered a, uh, uh, this sentence years ago, I thought this, mu- there must be some error here. Um, uh, you know, how come divine trinity there here repeated three times? We must practice the oneness of the divine trinity in the divine trinity as the divine trinity does no this there's no error here this is exactly what it should be we need to practice the oneness of the divine trinity the one the divine trinity has is is the reality of oneness our practice of oneness is the practice of the oneness of the divine trinity and even even this practice is in the Divine Trinity. And we practice this oneness of the Divine Trinity in the Divine, divine Trinity as the Divine Trinity does. So on the one hand, we, as we are practicing this oneness, we are in the Divine Trinity according to how the Divine Trinity practices. Okay, point A says, the three of the Divine Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, are continually practicing the divine oneness. When we talk about the divine oneness, right away we realize this oneness is not something man-made. It's not something of our own uh, natural human agreement, mental agreement, accommodation. Like in today's politics, how to come up with an agreement no that is some kind of that is in the po- politics we are talking about oneness which is actually the very triune god himself the triune god the father the son and spirit and the spirit they are the reality of oneness they i mentioned yesterday in my message even when the sun came to the earth he says he whatever he spoke whatever he did was one with the father he will not speak a word without the father speaking he is seeking he is doing the father's will he is doing the seeking the father's glory whatever the son does was exactly what the father is doing and also the spirit is to is to receive from the son is to express what the Son wants to do. The Father, the Son, and Spirit are all together practicing a oneness. They are one. There's no rivalry between those three. No competition. They are continually practicing the divine oneness. The beauty and excellency in the divine trinity is the oneness, the harmony, and coordination in the divine trinity. Dear saints, the Bible tells us the top virtue of the triune God in his divine trinity is their oneness. Oneness is the top virtue of the divine trinity. The Father is one with the Son, the Son is one with the Spirit, and the Spirit is one with the Father. There's no competition. The Father exalts the Son, remember? When the Lord was uh, 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 rose from the baptism water, the father says, this is my son in whom is my delight. And hear him, even on the mountain of transfiguration, hear him. The father exalts the son, and the son honors the father. He would never do anything that would draw people to attention to himself. He would like to bring them to the father and the spirit is one with the son so the divine trinity is practicing this divine oneness number 1 says matthew 12:28 reveals that the son as the center of the divine trinity was altogether not by himself for himself or to himself whatever he did was by the spirit and for the kingdom of god the father so they were not doing anything none of the the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they will not do anything for himself. They are doing it for others, for the other party. In the world today, can you find this kind of situation? Every person in the world is doing something for himself. All the politicians are are doing something for himself or for herself. But here, the three of the divine trinity, they live for each other. They are in perfect harmony. Number two says, if we want to be coordinated with all the members of the body in the oneness and harmony of the divine trinity, we should follow the pattern of our head by not doing anything by ourselves or for ourselves. What we do should be by the indwelling pneumatic Christ as our humility and selflessness for our Father's heavenly kingdom, perfect will, and eternal glory. This was the way Jesus lived as the Son of God on the earth. He always sought to be one with the Father. He is now the head of the body. We are the body under his headship, under this Christ, to be his duplication, to be his... uh, reproduction, to live the same way as the head did. Now we come to point B. John 17 reveals the believer's oneness incorporated with the oneness of the divine trinity. These verses in verse 11, verse 21, verse 23, also verse 22, you see a repeated mention of even as. In the Lord's prayer, Uh, In John 17, a number of times he mentioned that they may be one, even as you father, we, I and the father are one, even as, even as, even as. So the Lord desires his disciples to be one, just like the triune God is one. So in that prayer... There are three aspects of that oneness revealed there. Number one, we practice the oneness of the divine trinity by the divine life with its source, the divine name of the Father. The Father's name is the source of our oneness and his life is the element of our oneness delivering us from the natural realm. So the the Lord prayed, that we would be one in his in the father's name, the father's name implied that we have all been born of him. The Father is our common source. We all receive the father's life in us. It doesn't matter where you live. it doesn't matter how you how uh, what is the way you interpret the Bible. You want to interpret that way I want to interpret this way. When you come down to the bottom to the life within us, we are the same. You may have different different ideas, different opinions about certain things, but when you come back to the life within us, we are the same. We were born of the same father. So whenever we come back to call Abba Father, and you say Abba Father, we we are calling on the same father. We are all children of the same father. How can we be different? Number two says, we practice the oneness of the divine trinity by the divine word as the truth that sanctifies the believers from the world. The Father's sanctifying word is the means of our oneness, delivering us from the world. The, the Lord also prays that they may be one by his sanctifying word. His word is the truth, which is the divine reality. The word here is not, talking, it's not referring to doctrine. It refers to that divine reality which is God himself expressed and realized. So we are kept by the divine reality, by this truth. We are being sanctified from the world. The world separates us. The world tries to make us all individualized. But when we come back to the divine truth, the divine reality, which is God himself, we are sanctified from all the worldly element. Then we are spontaneously we are brought into a oneness with my brothers the number three we practice the oneness of the divine trinity by the divine glory the divine sonship with the father's life and nature as the divine right to express the father the father's glory is the expression of our oneness delivering us from ourselves here the lord also prayed that they may be one in the divine glory what is glory? Glory is God expressed. Wherever glory is, there's no room for the self. There's no room for myself. So whenever the self is put aside, is denied, the divine glory is here. And in this glory, every one of us, doesn't matter where where we come from, what language we speak, we all have been absorbed, filled By this God of glory, myself does not matter anymore. Yourself does not matter anymore. Here in the the divine glory, spontaneously, we are one. So the Lord, in his prayer, mentioned these three factors the Father's name, and the Son's truth, the reality, and also the glory, which is of the Spirit. We are made one. Even these three elements, the father's name the truth and uh, the glory are actually the three aspects of the divine trinity we are one we are one in the triune god in the divine trinity as the tr- as the t- divine trinity does so when we talk about the oneness brothers and sisters we are not talking about it, some kind of a natural accommodation agreement we are talking about our entering into the divine trinity right fully one with the divine trinity and constituted with the divine trinity then spontaneously we are brought into this oneness okay we come to point c psalm 133 reveals the commanded blessing of god the father on the believers living in the oneness of the divine trinity under the spreading ointment of god the spirit and the descending dew of Christ the Son. Can you believe that in Psalm 133, we see the divine trinity again? We have the Father's blessing, we have the Son as the dew, and the Spirit as the ointment here to bring us into the experience of the oneness of the body. Number one, the anointing oil as the compound ointment is a type of the processed triune God the all-inclusive compound spirit. A, we are in the oneness, because which is the process triune God anointed or painted into our being. Hallelujah. This weekend, the spirit, the triune God is painting us with himself as that ointment. And be day by day in the church life, all the ingredients of the divine and mystical compound ointment are being wrought into us. Through the application of these ingredients to our inward being, we are spontaneously in the oneness. Then number two, the dew signifies the descending, refreshing, watering, and saturating grace of life. Grace is the pneumatic Christ experienced, received, enjoyed, and gained by us. By remaining in the church life, we are preserved in the Lord's grace. By the grace we received on the mountains of Zion, we can live a life that is impossible for people in the world to live. Then the last point, the more we experience Christ as the life-giving spirit, the more our natural constitution and disposition are reduced, and they are reduced through our experience of the triune God with his divine attributes. We are perfected into one for the Father's glory. Well, I know there's a lot here, but in brief, I just want to summarize in this way. In order for us to uh, enter, to experience this oneness, which which is essential for us to participate in the building work of God, we need to enjoy the divine trinity thoroughly. I hope Saints, I know I went through a lot. I read, I read a lot, maybe somewhat doctrinal to many of you. But don't, don't be intimidated or don't be bothered by these so-called doctrinal points. These mad aspects of the divine trinity are not just for us to uh, remember, to just teach, talk about. These are for our enjoyment. We enjoy the Father as the source with his blessing we enjoy the sun as the element as the as the uh, the rich refreshing dew descending upon us as grace we enjoy the spirit as the application as the application like the oil the ointment oh flowing down so anointing us moment by moment dear saints it's only when we are enjoying and experiencing the divine trinity we find ourselves in the oneness as soon as we leave the divine trinity we are in separation we are in competition we are in rivalry we need to be delivered from the self by by fully and absorbed and lost in the divine trinity i hope every day that this this matter of the the the, the triune god with the divine trinity Would be something so subjective to us we live and with this divine trinity so that we can be brought into this oneness may the lord be merciful to us to give us these uh, prerequisites in our uh in our living with our realization our acknowledgement and even our attitude and so that we can practically enter into uh, uh the oneness of the divine trinity as the divine Trinity uh, uh, is is uh, is doing, okay. So, Amen. I stop here. Uh, I turn it back to the to the host.